How strong is your need for recognition? Ooh, this is a good question to get me squirming in the therapist chair. My need for recognition is strong, although greatly diminished these days. I deplore in myself the desire to win the praise of others, but acknowledging that motivator has been a helpful step towards growing up. I definitely wanted to cycle around the world to garner some recognition and attention. Polar explorer Robert Swan admitted that one of his motives was to impress girls at parties. I had felt ordinary and underrated all my life, and I wanted to differentiate myself from other people and show the world and myself that I could accomplish something substantial. Later, when I began posting articles and films online, I used to pay close attention to how many comments and views they generated. Eventually, I had to ban myself from studying Google Analytics for my website or my Amazon sales rank position, as I got a bit addicted to those metrics. I reasoned that if I just focused on producing good stuff, everything else would work out okay in the end. I used to direct my professional envy towards those drawing more recognition than me, suggesting a craving for the spotlight. Nowadays, however, I don't really care about recognition at all. I do the projects I want to do because they interest me. If I'm happy with the book I've written, that feels enough, even if hardly anyone reads it. I'm uncertain whether this comes from a mellowing of age or because I've gained sufficient of an audience so that a few folk notice whatever I do and that small dose of attention is enough to keep my vanity satisfied. Quick question. Have you ever been recognised on the streets? Years ago, I was going through a phase of associating success as a working adventurer with fame. I spent a day filming something with Ben Fogel and was struck by everyone recognising him, everyone turning to look as we passed, everyone wanting to say hello to him. I realised then that I had zero desire to be famous. I've only been recognised a few times and I find it extremely embarrassing. The first time it happened, I was on a busy rush hour train. The carriage was crowded but self-consciously quiet, as commuter trains tend to be. A man got onto the train and squeezed onto the seat opposite me. He peered at me and then said, Oh my God, are you Alistair Humphreys? (laughs) All eyes in the carriage swivelled our way. Panicked, I blurted out the first thing that came into my head. Um, No, mate, not me. Sorry. I promptly felt like a total doofus. But I then couldn't think of a way to back out of what I had done. So we sat opposite each other in silence for about 30 minutes until the train arrived in London, with the man clearly knowing that I had just denied that I was me and me feeling extremely awkward. Quick question two. How do you keep your ego in check? I'm not sure what prompted someone to ask this question. I'd prefer not to know, perhaps. Yet, for all my many faults, I'm proud to say that I don't think ego is one of them. I deserve a medal for my modesty. Uh, I know I do many things better than many people, but I also know that someone else does every aspect of what I do better than me. I feel comfortable with accepting my place in the hierarchy of a meritocratic world. 
Similarly, I don't really worry about whether an adventure I do is publishable or will impress the public. If I want to do the trip, I do it. If I want to document it, I do that. The choice as to whether something ought to become a tweet, a blog post or a book depends entirely on my appetite for the work required. Plenty of adventurers have written books about rowing the Atlantic Ocean, for example, but I've never been interested in writing a book for adults about that. My short walks in India and Spain were no great feat, but something about them intrigued me enough to tell the stories in books. My ego didn't play a part in either of those decisions. Almost for as long as I've been a working adventurer, I've been conscious to not believe my own hype, that I'm amazing and that adventure is the be-all and end-all of life. I'm aware that over time the tales I tell are often polished for simplicity or effect to within an inch of the truth. So I try to imagine that a peer who I respect is sitting at the back of the room with his bullshitometer held high to cool my bluster and temper the temptation to exaggerate There are billions of people on Earth whose days are challenging enough without adding the artifice of adventure and whose lives are not so plump with luxury that they feel a yearning for simplicity and fresh air. And every day I pass men and women in the street who fare much better than me with the ongoing trials and tribulations of real life. I really do not have to try to keep my ego in check at all. Quick question three, what adventure would you love to do but haven't got the bottle, skill set or funds to do? A first ascent of a massive mountain, a solo sailing circumnavigation of the world, walking through the Daring Gap and across the Bering Strait to join up the gaps in my round-the-world bike ride, a flight to the moon and a return journey to the South Pole unsupported from Scott's hut on the coast. Question. What would you do if it wasn't made public? If nobody knew what I was up to, I would still have done almost everything I've done in my life in almost exactly the same way. Indeed, this exact question is one that I often ask myself as a way to check my motivations and help me do the right thing. When I begin planning a new trip, I filter my ideas to eliminate the madcap and the excessively narcissistic. It is important to clarify my motivations for doing an adventure. It should be fun, or at least fun in hindsight. It has to be personally worthwhile and fulfilling. I've never been worried about pursuing world firsts. More important for me is to ask whether an idea is fresh, new, challenging and exciting for me. And in that vein, I always ask myself if I would still make the trip if nobody else ever knew about it. I began asking this question after a misadventure in Iceland. I was dithering over whether to pack raft down a long stretch of fierce white water in a narrow canyon. I wanted to do it, but I sensed it was far too dangerous for my skill level. But then I thought, this will look so cool on YouTube, and therefore decided to go for it. I paddled into the rapid, terror mounting. As soon as I hit the white water, I knew that I had miscalculated and made a terrible decision. The raft flipped within seconds and the water was strong and grey and fast and cold. I nearly drowned, 
but eventually managed to drag my chastened, bedraggled little ass to the riverbank. At which point, I noticed that I had forgotten to press record on the GoPro camera. Would I have taken such a reckless risk in a remote wilderness had I known that nobody would ever watch the footage and applaud me? Absolutely not. It was an important lesson learned. Some years ago, I was invited to take part in a ridiculously crazy hardcore expedition. The guy who asked me was someone I admired. I was flattered. I was excited. If we pulled this project off, it would make a brilliant story. I was also scared. It was an extremely dangerous plan. Misery and suffering were guaranteed, though that was part of the appeal. In those days, I rated my ability to suffer and saw it as a point of differentiation and a badge of honour. Yet something stopped me from agreeing to the plan. The more I thought about it, the more I realised that my excitement came almost entirely from how much I would enjoy showing off about the achievement afterwards. Would I do this if nobody ever found out? I asked. The answer was no. I turned down the invitation. Asking would I do this if it wasn't made public is a good question for me to ask myself. I want my journeys and creative projects to be something that I enjoy and care about regardless of whether they have an audience or not. The process itself ought to be reward enough. If I write for an audience's applause, I'll only be disappointed when not everyone likes it. If I write in search of adulation through sales, comments or likes, I'll be left craving a little bit more next time. Writing a book takes so long, earns so little per hour of work and is such a flipping painful experience that, first and foremost, I have to write it for myself as a way to digest all the thoughts in my head and feel satisfaction at finally typing the end. Quick question. Why do you always go on about how you would make more money and be more successful if you did more big expeditions? I didn't realise that I'd do this, and I'm sorry, um, but I guess it comes down to insecurity. Even when micro-adventures started to become popular, I always wanted to be regarded as a proper adventurer. People were buying bivvy bags and heading out on micro-adventures of their own. My income and audience were increasing, but I still wanted to do something epic once again to impress other people and myself. It took me years to realise that the impact of micro-adventures was more significant than anything I could manage by striving to be the latest rugged explorer going on big expeditions. So, I apologise if I bang on about my previous big adventures too often. Go sleep on a hill, folks. <laughs>